Hello, and welcome to episode one of season two of Relay Essay, a connected conversation about student affairs in Canada. Each person we interview suggests a few names of folks we should interview next, passing the baton along from interview to interview, hence the title Relay Essay. Before we get into our very first interview of season two, I just want to say a huge thank you to all the folks who have listened to this podcast, tweeted about it, and shared it with colleagues. I really appreciate it. I want to give a special shout out to Kathleen Moore, who interviewed me about the podcast for The Communique. A trusted colleague and friend suggested that I make it really clear to anyone listening that this podcast is a total side gig, a hobby that is separate from my professional job at U of T. All views are absolutely my own. So let's get to it. One of the perks of doing this podcast is the opportunity to call up folks that I have admired for years and invite them for an interview. One of those people is Jennifer Brown, who was our very first interview of this season and the start of a brand new relay. I first came to know Jennifer Brown when I was a relatively new professional because she was president of SASA, one of the divisions in the previous caucus structure. Her passion for the field and boundless energy stood out and made me very excited about getting involved in caucus. I distinctly remember sitting in a session she was delivering at one of the conferences and being blown away by her empathetic approach to enhancing the student experience and her deep desire to have a positive impact. So while I was out east in August of 2016 for a wedding, I was so lucky to have the chance to meet up with Jennifer in her office at the Memorial University of Newfoundland in St. John's. We spoke about a wide range of topics, and I'm very excited for you to hear our conversation. So let's get to it. Adam Dewan, what are you doing? Who will you talk to today? It's Relay Essay. And we're live. Yay! Yay, okay. So, um, why don't you introduce yourself? What's um, your name? Uh, my name is Jennifer Brown, and I am right now the Associate Director of Student Life at Memorial University in Newfoundland. And how long have you been in this role? This role since January 2016, January 1st, 2016. Okay. Prior to that, I had spent 10 years as Director of Career Development and Experiential Learning at Memorial University. Wow. Mm. And, okay, so we talked, oh, my questions disappeared again. We uh, talk a lot about whole students, so let's talk about whole Jennifer. Mm. Outside of your role in student life, what are mm. what are things people should know about you? Uh, what should you know about me? I am a very proud Newfoundlander. Yeah. And I think that has actually impacted and influenced the decisions even around my own career. Mm. Um, but I absolutely uh, love this place, and I love to share it with others. Uh, I'm very proud to, I uh, think, have the resilience and pride in this place of my ancestors. Um, so a big part of who I am is where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also, I would say, more importantly, a mom to two awesome monkeys. <laughs> and they are monkeys. Uh, they're five and seven. Um, Brendan is five and Ryan is seven. So they keep me busy and grounded. And I just love seeing the world all over again through the eyes of my children. I just think that's awesome. I mean, I can even remember the first time they saw snow and just watching them react to snow and things like that. So I just, uh, you know, it's a journey to be a parent. I'm certainly not perfect, but it is awesome. And they are, um, you know, all that really matters for your family, I think, is is all that really matters in your health. So, um I'm engaged in the community. I love, you know, lots of different things, everything from history and archaeology to different community groups and causes. So I'm busy, but I love it. I can't imagine not being busy, actually. Good busy. Good busy. Good busy, yeah. Um, And I guess for the record, we should tell people where we are currently sitting. Where are we located, Jennifer Brown? So you are sitting... uh, in Memorial University, uh, in my office, which is in the University Center, so you are smack in the middle or the hub, I guess, of this of student life at Memorial. 
Yeah, it's a bit of a in St. John's, Newfoundland. It is a little quiet because you are here uh, July 29th uh, on a Friday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> so it might you might hear crickets when you go out, and it is also I believe almost 30 degrees. I'm going to put that on there for the record because that's rare uh, as well. You can't say that every day in St. John's, Newfoundland, but uh, it's beautiful. So. I'm just happy you're here and able to enjoy this place and see the beauty of it without the fog. and. Oh, it's stunning. Yeah. When I was saying before that, I missed the caucus year when it was here, so I'm mm -hmm. just happy to have the chance to visit. Um, and also, one of my favorite names of the Student Life Department was it Answers? It was Answers, yes. Just Answers. Answers. The Department of Answers or just Answers? Uh, answers was part of Student Success. Okay. Which we've gone through a lot of restructuring. Okay. So Answers, you were probably here on the um, on the sunset of the Answers okay. office. Okay. And we're... You heard it here first. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but that's great feedback to, to at least share to say that that Answers thing stuck with people because I, I uh, it's it's moving to, uh, it'll be more like ask, ask okay. at mon.ca as right. opposed to answers at mon.ca. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, so. I just remember sitting in a caucus session and someone introduced themselves being the manager of answers. And yes. Like, we all kind of like perked up. Yes. Like, what is your title? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. Okay. Um, I've got a whole list of things that I want to ask you about. Um. Where should we where should we start? Okay, let's start maybe about the International Experiential Learning Institute. Okay. Because I feel like that's pretty special yeah. and pretty unique and yeah. you've been kind of um, involved with that for since, since it began. Since the beginning. So yeah. How did that start? So I I love sharing this story because this just uh, I think is an example of, you know, when you have an idea, it doesn't have to um, come to fruition immediately. Right. It can take time. Because I think that some uh, things they need the proper support they need the right people around to right. see the vision they need the financial resources or whatever and sure. for all of that to come together sometimes it, it uh, doesn't happen overnight gotcha. so this was a concept that um, was something that I thought about with another colleague uh, Dr. Rob Shea back okay. in the day back back in the day a long time ago and we were coming, we were, we had started the Department for Career Development and Experiential Learning, and we were talking about uh, how important experiential learning was for students. Um, but one of the things that we talked about was as practitioners, um, we don't have a lot of opportunities to, to even know what experiential learning is and how important reflection is. So, can't, should, you know, should there be something out there for the practitioners who work with students, mm -hmm. don't matter what discipline you're in, you can be career, housing, residence, um, orientation, whatever part of student affairs and services you're involved with, and actually it goes beyond student affairs and services as well, if you could, uh, you know, be aware of that so that when you're doing programming, when you're planning events for students, you're building in that reflective piece right. so that students really are walking away a little bit different than when they arrived. That awareness is critical. So this was the idea was to bring like, you know, 15, 20 people to, at the time the idea was to bring them to Newfoundland and immerse them in this experience and have, um, have them participate in experiential learning while they're here, activities, but also have an academic component to it. So I think I wrote a proposal for that a long, long time ago. Uh, I would say it was the early 2000s, early okay. to before, two, about 2003, 2004. So uh, things happened. Rob moved into a different role. I moved into a different role. Uh, leadership changes, all kinds of stuff. Sure. So then, like, out of the blue, I get this call five years ago. And um, there's someone here in the province who is who wants to do work with an organization in the United States called NACA, the National Association for Campus Activities. Okay. Huge, huge organization. Right. Um, and student, it's it's a lot of students in it, mostly students actually. And and then the staff are the people who work with these students. So they, uh, he had an opportunity to connect with this group, and they had used some buzzwords, and he didn't know anything about it. One of the buzzwords was experiential learning. Okay. So they asked if I would go to New York City 
That was a tough one uh, to say yes to. Like, Golden. I can make myself available. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, because I'm, you know, I fly around the world for these meetings all the time. Uh, so I was go to New York City uh, with this individual, uh, with someone from Memorial and this, this individual from the city and myself, and we were going to meet with this NECA group, their executive director, their uh, couple of board members. So we go off to New York City. I'm staying in Times Square. My first trip ever to New York City. So nice. that was awesome. Uh, and uh, we go to um, New York University for these meetings. And we're sitting in the room. And I can tell pretty quick that nobody really knows why we're all in this room. The sky's pulled us together, but there is really no direction. Uh, so I'm sitting there and I hear what they're saying, what Nick is looking for and everything. And I think of an old idea. And I say, you know something that we could think about I'm not sure like it's just kind of coming to me is what if we focused on the practitioners who work with the students and we did something for their professional development did you have the proposal with you I did not (laughs) no but it's memorized it's all up here I don't forget it and so they were like okay so tell me more I'm like you know I'm just like this is I'm just you know fleshing through this so help me out you know it could look like this it could be you know a scholar in residence is brought in, and so there's a very uh, strong academic component. Okay. Um, and then a component of the day is going out as participants and experiencing. So putting ourselves in the in the shoes of our uh, students mm-hmm. and being the student for a little while and having these experiences and reflecting on them, uh, and then you know bringing it all together. So. They were like, okay, so where would we do this? I'm like, I would be happy to host. I would be happy to host. Uh, Memorial University would be, you know, we can do this. And I know, I now know, they doubted we could ever pull this off. Mm. Um, They liked the idea, but it just seemed this was in the summer, and we were proposing to do it the next, say, June. So anyway, through the jigs and the reels... We pulled it off, and it was fantastic. And I just remember going, we gotta have a, we gotta have a decent name. We gotta have, you know, we're brand new. We're starting this thing, and so we're gonna have to bring in a name that people will recognize. So that's the draw. So, and and then NECA also brought in another organization in the United States, which is NURSA, which is focused on recreation. Right. And so, and they work. They have so many students within the work that they do. Yep. So they really believe in the reflection and the experiential learning and the competency students are gaining as a result of all the experiences that they have. I hope my heater doesn't interfere because it just kicked in. Uh, but um, so uh, we so we, we actually we had a connection. Somebody knew a student who had worked with George Koo, and I figured he would be a draw because of Nessie and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So George Koo was our first one. I remember being on the phone with George Koo. Little me on with Dr. George Koo going, Hi, I'm Jennifer Brown from... Like, where the hell is Memorial University in New... You know, where's Newfoundland? I'm sure this man is thinking. Anyway, we had a great time. He was awesome. Amazing. He, He got screeched in. He did all kinds of things with us, and he stayed. He's still in touch from time to time. That's so nice. And he wanted the pictures of him being screeched in. He wanted like all this stuff. And since then, we had Dr. Susan Comavis. Um, we had uh, Dr. Laura Austin in, in Boston, and then this year we were back in Newfoundland again, and we had Dr. Julie Owen, and she was amazing too. So it's word of mouth. So Laura and you know, I think we got. It's funny because I think we got uh, uh, Susan Comavis because George Koo had participated. Right. And then uh, Laura and Julie had talked to uh, Susan, and Susan was like, it was awesome. you got to go because this isn't like a normal conference. Right. It's very different. So the concept is they provide the academic component in the mornings, and then we go on these excursions, and then there's reflection and stuff. So we're actually applying what we're learning throughout the whole thing. So it's gone really well, and uh, we've just had our fourth. And we'll be moving into the fifth year. Now, last year, NECA and NURSA both went on hold because, um, so they've stepped back, which is unfortunate, but I understand they weren't getting the numbers out, but Canada was sending sure. the numbers. Right. And this year we had 33 participants and still a handful from the United States, but mostly Canada. So there's a real appetite in Canada. Yeah. We don't have a lot of PD around experiential learning. There is a couple of conferences in the United States, that a couple of organizations. So I think there's an opportunity there. And uh, so it was just this little idea from a long time ago, being in the right place at the right time, throwing it out, and it just got some traction. And I remember um, I remember one of the coordinators with me, Dr. Don Stenta, uh, he said, uh, 
we were sitting at the Sheraton after, at the Sheraton Hotel after it was all over the first time, and he looked at me and he said, what would you have done if this had failed? And I looked at him and I said, it never crossed my mind. It never crossed my mind that it would fail. I really believed in the concept so much that I said, if I knew if we could just get him here. The hard part was going to get the numbers to come here um, for a brand new something. But I said, if I can get them here, I know they're gonna, it's going to be a good experience. And so hopefully next year we'll have the fifth one. I think we will be moving it around. So uh, I'm actually going to be talking to Caucus and some others and see how it evolves. Because it's certainly, I think, meeting a need. Yeah, um, and it's a unique experience being part of this small group of individuals who experience things together and create a community, actually. Absolutely. And as word spreads, yeah, I think it'll only grow. Yeah. And it's wow. awesome. Congrats. I feel like I started maybe a little bit too far. I think jumped into the Experiential Learning Institute. Like maybe let's, do, let's take a step back. Let's talk, let's talk about the beginning. Oh, the beginning. Uh, Jennifer, let's start the day you were born. No, <laughs> we're going back too far now. Well, I feel like as I've been having these conversations with folks, most of them have identified a tipping point or a moment when they realized uh, that they could do this yes. for a living. Yes. Um, and you did grad school first before jumping into your career or what where did yeah how did you start your career yeah so I uh I was going to be a speech pathologist that was my goal when I left high school my grandmother had had a stroke uh when I was in early uh, high school like grade nine or something grade 10 and I watched her lose the ability to communicate uh she was phasic and she had lost the ability to speak and I just watched her, I, I thought it was very powerful that someone actually taught her to speak again. You know, as a woman in her, you know, a woman who, uh, in her 70s, to lose the ability to communicate for any of us would right. be quite uh, traumatic and, and sad. And especially when you're vulnerable in a way. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. So I just thought, what a wonderful thing to do with your life, to uh, help people who have suffered strokes or different uh, accidents to help them be able to communicate again. I came out of the womb talking, so, (laughs) you know, the fact that you would not be able to talk would, to me, would be one of the, not be able to communicate with others would be really sad for me. So I said, I'm going to be a speech pathologist. So I came to Memorial uh, to do linguistics and psychology. Very driven. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I was like first day, I did move into St. John's. I'm not from St. John's. So I had to move in. I had an apartment with some friends. And I think the first day of school, I was at the career planning center figuring out what I needed to do to get into, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So I was a bit of a keener too. (laughs) So when I was... Well, you know, I'm probably going to ramble on too much. But in that first year, of course, that transition can be, it has its moments where things are not, and I was lonely. I really miss my family. I miss not being home. And I had this one day that was really sad where I was told first year physics in a class of 200 people that when I went to pick up my exam, the professor said, I remember you. And I thought, awesome. And he said, you got one of the lowest marks in the class. And I'm sure my, I mean, my face just showed like big eyes. And he said, actually, you got the lowest mark in the class. Now, I was already lonely. My marks had dropped like most first years. They weren't, you know, the high, high. They were gone down, you know, 60s and stuff like that. And so this man just told me that, you know, I got the lowest mark out of 200 students in first year physics. So I did what any normal young woman would do was I lost it. And I started to screech like I just bawled my eyes out with oh. the with the racking sobs going through your body because it was at that moment it was like I could have quit my home. Right. So I I just remember he didn't know what to do with me. Like here I am and I'm like I can't even speak because like, the sobs are, are going through me like <laughs> you know that kind of thing and and uh, he was really great and he said uh, he was he would rub my arm and then walk <laughs> away just lean in and touch my arm like you'll be all right. And then he'd pull back and be like, it's okay. And he'd pull back. And uh, anyway, he said, I remember he said, what, what, what courses are you doing? And so I said, I'm doing biology. I'm doing math. I'm doing it. And he said, you know, drop deadlines had passed. He said, I will drop you from the course if you want. And you can focus on your other four. How are you doing in your other courses? I said, I'm doing okay in the rest of them and stuff I'm managing. So he, and I just remember one thing he said is, what would your parents think? Would you have the support of your parents? And I remember going, I do. They will trust that if I need to do this, I, I can do it. Right. Uh, so that never even bothered me. So anyway, I, I 
walked out of that office knowing I was probably going to drop that course. And I came around the corner, and whistling along the corridor was someone from home who was a few years older than me, and it was Mr. Tom Brophy. So anyone who's around student affairs a while would know Tom Brophy has made a career out of student affairs. He is currently, like, you know, vice president of student affairs at Brandon University. He's a bit of a legend. He's a great fella, and I've known him since I was 11. So, uh, (laughs) you know, when I came around the corner, I mean, talk about things happening for a reason. Tom Brophy probably only knew half a dozen people at Memorial University. There's 18,000 students at Memorial. I caught around the corner. And who's there but Tom Brophy whistling through the chemistry building? He still doesn't even know why he was in the chemistry building. <laughs> and uh, so, and he saw me with my red nose, and I'm the little girl from home, you know, and everything. And I just remember him going, Jennifer, what's wrong? And I, th- I told him, I said, Tom, I just failed my midterm in physics. I got the lowest in the class. And he said, you failed the test? And I said, yeah. And he said, Oh, my God, honey, don't worry about that. He said, oh, you can fail out. He said, I'm after failing whole courses, he said, and I'm still here, and, and everything's going to be fine. And I just remember uh, him just it made me laugh, and uh, he was like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And he said, you need to get involved on campus. And he was engaged with Student Affairs and Services. He said, you need to get involved with orientation now next year. He said, you need to be a group leader for orientation. So he introduced me to Student Affairs and Services. And the next year I was a group leader. And the next year after that I helped plan orientation and I was a more senior leader, right. student leader with orientation. And the rest is really history. I had all kinds of jobs within Student Affairs. When I got to the end of my last year and I had to apply for schools, I did apply for uh, speech pathology. But along the way I had been opened up to a whole new world that I didn't even know existed and I think this is the same for many of us you didn't who who would have thought that this was even a career option when you were in high school you didn't even know it existed and there were two universities offering a master's in with a student services focus Mm -hmm. one was UBC Mm -hmm. and one was Memorial Memorial had just started a new program so I applied for speech and I applied for uh, student services and I got accepted to both and then I had to make the choice of where I was going to go. And I made the right choice, and I have never regretted my decision of where I, what I did and where I have ended up. So that's how I ended up into Student Affairs and Services. And then I chose the career field mm. because uh, I was also an arts graduate. And when I graduated, if someone had asked me, um, you know, what I could do with it, I'm not sure if I could articulate that. I had lots of things I was good at, but I don't know how well I could articulate it. And I had a period of unemployment before going to school, and I knew how hard it was um, to find employment, particularly in the mid-'90s in Newfoundland. Uh, the moratorium, the Cobb moratorium had happened. There was all kinds of things happening with the economy. It was right. not. It was, it was a hard time to come out of school. And I said, I want to save all the arts graduates because they are awesome and they are employable and I wanted to be the one to help them transition out of university into the world of work. And so I focused my grad work on career development, a lot of it, nice. and uh, transitioned right into, I was an employment counselor at the Y for a while. I was at the university, went out for a year, uh, loved the community experience, mm-hmm. but pined for campus. And the, for me, being on a campus is the vibrancy, the life. This is, you know, you you feel it like it's it's alive. Uh-huh. You know, the research, the students, the programming, the every day, never knowing what who's coming through your door and who yeah. you're going to help and all that kind of stuff. And while the community stuff was really great in career development. I just missed um, the energy that is on a university campus. Mm-hmm. And so I came back in 2000 and I never left. Never left? I'm still here. And here you are. Yeah, they might try to get rid of me, but it's really <laughs> hard. <laughs> amazing. Oh, that's so amazing. Just turning a corner and running into Tom Brophy. And I know. Here we are. Meant to be. Oh. Meant to be. Um, so some of the things, if you were to do a bit of a Google search for Jennifer Brown... Ooh you would find uh, a whole bunch of stuff because you were heavily involved with SASA for a while and you were SASA mm-hmm. president. Past SASA president, yeah. Um, and 
there's a, a research project that you're involved with around CSAOs. That's right. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, that actually gets me really excited because I do enjoy research. I have not um, not gone on to do a PhD, but I think I have a good chunk of a dissertation done. So I may have done it backwards, and I'm, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen there. But So I credit this to a former dean mm-hmm. who um, thought it was important that we should be doing research in student affairs and services. And she brought together um, a lot of young professionals at the time and paired us, uh, basically started a little research group and paired us with a... Um, a person who, a senior um, faculty member who was in student affairs, was in the counseling center, and Dr. George Hurley, and we used to just come together and talk about ideas of things that we could do research on. A lot of ended up being program, you know, evaluation and things like that. Uh, But I chose to do something that I had read, and this will kind of date me a little bit, but uh, Arthur Sandine had wrote a book in 1984 called The Chief Student Affairs Officer in the United States. You can't even get it in print anymore, right? If you find a copy, you might make a million bucks off it. I don't know. For, you know, because all of those student affairs people would love to have a copy of this <laughs> old book. But anyway, so he wrote this book, and I thought, we've never done anything with the, with the uh, senior student affairs officers in Canada. Mm. So this would have been probably around 2002. And so I wrote a proposal. And so Dr. Hurley... We did a big thought web, and I figured out all the things that I need to do and started a very preliminary um, kind of survey with the uh, chief student affairs officers, senior student affairs officers across the country and gathered data on who they were, um, what their educational background was, um, issues and trends and things like that. And then I came across, um, so I did that, presented it at a caucus conference and presented it here on campus, and I was hooked. Like, I just thought, I love creating information that's not out there yeah right like mm-hmm. there's something it, i mean it's i probably shouldn't I, I shouldn't even say it but it's like you're giving birth to something that's not out there like creating it's something new. creating something new totally. like so so i was like okay this is this is something there's nothing out there so did that then a couple of years later or a year or so later i actually discovered um so uh, a dissertation by a new doctoral graduate out of the United States who had done something very similar okay. on chief student affairs officers in the United States and the UK. She was from the UK, and she had ex- she, her survey looked at professional development methods as well. Okay, and she did a lot of comparison. So I contacted her and got permission to replicate her survey in Canada, and that's the main tool. There was two, uh, Dr. Rabilkina. And there's another lady too who had another survey. So got their permission and I created it. I put it through ethics in 2005. Mm-hmm. And I did the first survey in 2005 with the proper instrument and all that kind of stuff. And some of that was shared through communique and everything. And then in 2010, I did it again. And then, uh, well, actually went out in 2011. And then we did it again in 2013. And then we did it again in 2015. And so what I realized after, like a couple of years ago, I was like, man, if I do this again, I got 10 years of data. In actual fact, Whoa. I've got 13 years of data with certain aspects of the survey. And so it's been really fascinating. And I think it all ties into the great things that are happening in our field right now across the country. Mm-hmm. So I can sit back and I can actually see change over a 10-year period of our field. Wow. And even the so I left in the professional development methods and I what are the issues and trends that people see one year five years out um, and how that's changed from 2005 to 2015 and so I am actually working with caucus now to actually I mean there's a whole bunch of papers in there but I just want to like regurgitate the whole thing <laughs> I just want like everybody to see everything in like one book yeah. uh, or one document and then I can pull pieces so off the 2015 data and then I can go back and take sections off the 2015 2010 2005 and then do those comparisons so there's a lot of potential there I just really need time outside of the monkeys and the work to sit down and write but that gets me really excited and I have seen the professionalization of the field Mm. that's what I'm noticing when you look at 
uh, in, in the 2012, or sorry, the 2002 version of that survey and looking at what is the educational background of the senior student affairs officer on campus right. is very different than what is the credentials now of the senior student affairs person on campus. Wow. So you can see almost a professionalization of the field. You can see it evolving from... Wow. Um, not immature, but you know, as a growing profession, mm -hmm. to something that is now at a place where we are identifying the competencies that student affairs professionals have. Like I, so it it's all um, coming together. I think I feel like this whole field is at a tipping point in a way of mm -hmm. uh, being recognized on a very broad scale uh, for the work that it does and the professionals that are in it. And the you know what they bring, what they bring to a campus. And the unique skill sets. Absolutely. That's what Angie and I, who were having lunch earlier today, yes. we're talking about that. We use the the term Swiss Army knives. Like we kind of these units who can be used for have so much utility That's on a right. campus, but sometimes people don't understand or comprehend. That's right. Um, the value added piece. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So. That research gets me excited. I'm excited to share it with the broader population. And uh, you know, and then I'm like, you know, I get excited about this. Like I get, ooh, you know, chief student affairs officer, you know, information. I'm like, oh my god, maybe nobody else in the world cares about this stuff. But there is a group of us out there who do. And uh -huh. I just remember last year, um, caucus was in Vancouver, mm -hmm. and um, it was uh, I presented on the data actually the 2015 data and my session was like 5 15 on a tuesday evening in vancouver on a beautiful day and i'm like no one's coming but i did go out and buy chocolate for anyone who did come because i thought they should be rewarded <laughs> and i had about 30 people come to it and they were really interested and i had like journal there was editors of journals there that came up and said we would like be very interested in publishing this so it was really um affirmation that there is people very interested in and i think in canada so my point is going back to the beginning is i think it's there's a real role for leaders to encourage young professionals to get engaged in research yeah. we don't have to be doing phds or edds or even masters uh, to be doing that, but it might, in I think it actually sparked some people to go on and do their masters mm -hmm. uh, and get further education, but to realize the value in evaluating and research and, and telling the story. And telling our story. Yeah. So I, I would like to, you know, encourage young people to think about, you know, sometimes you start something in 2002 and all of a sudden it's what, 14 years later and you got, got a huge data set. And you're yeah. sitting on this huge data set <laughs> and you're like pinching yourself going, how did this happen? I don't know. This was not planned. But again, the universe is a wonderful place and things uh -huh. happen for, you know, a variety of reasons. So that's, that's my that's my chief student affairs officer or senior student affairs officer I think we probably should be using now but that's my story on that oh, Jennifer mm. that's amazing I have two more kind of formal questions then I got the mm. rapid fire at the end mm. um, and I think you kind of alluded to this at the beginning around your proud Newfoundlander and that informs kind of the way you see the world what do you think is unique about perhaps the way you see the world or see the student affairs world how does, it, how does this being from Newfoundland influence your work uh, well, I think it does influence my work, and and again, I can't. Maybe it doesn't, and I think I'm in my bubble here, and, I, and it, it's the same everywhere. Right. But I have certainly felt, and I, I don't think this is unique to Memorial, that student affairs uh, areas of campus do not get huge budget allocations, sure. right? And if you look at, you know, I believe at one time, like you know our area was like 3% of the entire budget of the university like within student affairs and services. So one of the things that I think um, Newfoundlanders are quite good at is doing a lot with very little okay. and being resilient. Right. Uh, and I also think attitude, you know, the can-do attitude. Like, mm -hmm. we're going to get it done one way or the other. we just got to figure out which way we're going to do it. Right. So I don't... It's very rare that something crosses my plate that... I think is impossible and I think some of that is you know you know you can live through the winters here and you can live through the poor weather and but there is there there's a belief that um, in 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 the place and I think that that comes across in my student affairs work in a way in that 
I don't think there's anything together that we can't figure out. We might have no money for it. We'll find the money. We might, it might mean proposals. It might mean external funding. It might mean partnering with other units. It might mean this. It might mean that. And I love empowering um, staff who have these ideas. Like, there's merit in this. Let's make it work. So I think that resilience and that can-do attitude are a big part of it. And uh, you'd have to knock me pretty hard to knock me down, like, right. before I'd get back up again. Like, right. you can knock me down. You knock me down a hundred times. Right. But I'm going to get back up and keep going. And when I think about how many times... Um, the people of this province have, um, you know, have had hardship um, or loss or whatever, whether it's, you know, the kind of work that people do in the fishery and the different challenges that come with that, um, then I think that 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 has fed into it. I mean, one of the things that I remember, it's funny you talked about these things that happen in our lives Mm -hmm. um, that kind of form who we are and I remember when Susan Comavis was here uh, with the institute one of the things that she talked about were these trigger events Mm -hmm. trigger events in our lives and when you reflect on them they actually impacted where you are today and so you know you can think about that as you're flying home or flying to Halifax (laughs) tomorrow like what are some of the trigger events in your life and it made me think because I have been I have had opportunity to leave and I have chosen not to. And I knew a long time ago that that, you know, there's one university in Newfoundland. Right. <laughs> so there's not the opportunity to move around a whole lot. And there's one college system. Uh, so I know if I left the province, I would have more opportunities with, uh, you know, in lots of different areas and stuff like that. But in 1992, I was a new grad, uh, a new high school grad. Mm-hmm. In 1991, I graduated. So 1992, the, the fishery closed down. And I remember being with people, watching that announcement, and knowing 70,000 people just lost their jobs. I grew up in a small fishing community, so, you know, it was very, very traumatic. Almost everyone in the community was impacted. Um, And I remember watching people leave, and I remember watching my friends leave because... um, Like leaving the province. Leaving the province, absolutely. So, So many had to leave to go to work, so many... Uh, young people who had thought that they would follow in their father's fishing boats, who had not intended to go to post-secondary or whatever, uh, or going to Alberta. Everyone's going to Alberta, right? right? Going off to the oil patch and stuff like that. And I just remember thinking, and this is over a period of time, but that event was the trigger event. Watching that over that three or four years while I was doing my undergrad is thinking, I can't go. I can't go. There will be nobody left. If we all go, who's going to keep the place running? Now, right. I'm not saying I want to run this place, let me tell you, because that's a, a fine job unto itself, I mean, the <laughs> province. But it's like, I just thought, if, if all the young people leave, if there is that brain drain, so I, I just, I think in that moment I said, I, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to make it work, mm. whether I have to pick up bottles on the side of the road. Right. And so I think there was something very defiant that came out and just, it was like, you know, hell no, I won't go. Hell no, I'm not going, right? Like, you're really going to have to push me off the edge of the rock to make me go away. And I didn't realize that until a couple of years ago, that those events in my, you know, uh, late teens, early 20s, I really think, uh, and watching the province, how it recovered after that thing, really impacted me as an individual. Yeah, so I think student affairs is, you know, it has influenced my work, but I think it's just that can-do attitude and, like, we will make it work make it happen make it happen well also kind of grounding your work in the larger picture so it's not just about the one-off program but it's kind of also this larger picture that you're working towards absolutely and believing like going into the career stuff i really believe that i don't care what you study you are employable right it's the experiences you have along the way it is the the competencies and skills that you've gained as a result of those experiences so just because you did history doesn't mean you're going to be a historian most of you are not going to be historians right. But if you're aware of who you are, what you're good at, and what you have to bring, and you can articulate that to, to an employer, mm-hmm. you're going to get a job, right? Sometimes it might take a little longer, but you are employable. And Absolutely. so I think even the career aspect is part of my past, like that resilience, uh, people succeeding and finding their way. Mm-hmm. My. But the whole point of this podcast was around creating a, a conversation about student affairs in Canada, um, kind of more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was saying to you before that I feel like the 
first little part of the podcast was pretty Ontario-centric and looking to broaden that a little bit more. Uh, but my question to you is, what aren't we talking about? What should we be talking about if we're talking about a Canadian conversation about student affairs? What are we not talking about that we should be? That is a good question. I, I mean, when I go to um, things like caucus, I go to your session because I think you and some others, John Austin and stuff, are bringing up things that aren't talked about. Right. So sometimes I'm actually looking for uh, what, at the national level, what's not being talked about. And I credit you guys for bringing things to that table because Thanks. it's a big table mm-hmm. and the, the topics are sensitive. They can be sensitive, but they, can, they need to be talked about. And they are on our campuses. So things like, you know, gender-neutral washrooms and um, Aboriginal students and, um, you know, the different populations that we work with. I think within every one of the groups of students that we work with, there's things not being talked about that probably should be talked about. I do think that... um, I do think things like research need to be encouraged more. I think if we're going to continue to professionalize this field, we need a body of literature that backs up what we're doing. We are not the United States. We are not the United States. We can't just copy and paste. We cannot copy and paste. I appreciate the work that they do in the United States. I think it informs the work that we do. Uh, And I'm grateful for for all that they have created. But I think we need to define Canada Student Affairs and Services. Mm-hmm. And it, it should be a little bit different. <laughs> it should be a lot different in some ways. And so I think that um, focusing on, you know, encouraging that body of research to be developed and then having a place to disseminate it. So I would love to see, you know, a Canadian journal in Student Affairs and Services. Oh, um, too. So it's not that they're not being talked about, some of us seems like it's been talked about a long time, but I think I'd like to see some action around some of these. Some organized some, way yeah. Of, yeah, and I don't think this is new to some of the you know the national scene. I just right. think that these are things that um, we are seeing more in graduate programs. We are seeing more in, in doctoral level programs. We need a home for them to, uh, to share what they are uh, finding. And I got my first peer reviewed journal article uh, published in January 20 or sorry uh, December 2015 nice. in the Canadian Journal of Higher Education it's around the research around the, the chief student affairs officer and um, but I had to make it fit I had to figure out how I could make student affairs fit within the context of a journal that is not a student affairs journal okay. and so that's the challenge right so I, I just think we need a home yeah. And so, you know, there's lots of things I think we can be talking about, but I, I think that, and I think that you you guys are doing a great job of that, and I want to see that continue. I think these podcasts can be, you know, there's different ways that we can be, yeah. even, you know, we're having more students on campus that are on the autism spectrum disorder and mental health and things like that, and, and I'm glad to see there is more dialogue and more support, uh, more PD for all of us who are, Working with those wonderful students mm-hmm. who do have sometimes require additional uh, services. Yep. And so I think it needs, sometimes we feel very siloed when we're within our institutions and we need to make sure that there's this national dialogue on mm-hmm. a lot of these things too. Oh, yeah. I could not agree more. Yeah. Good. All right. <laughs> I'm not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> okay, I just have a few rapid fire questions. Okay, let's see. Hmm. What is one thing that folks would be surprised to learn about you? Uh, I worked on an archaeological dig for five summers as an archaeologist. And it was awesome digging in the dirt for five summers. And my claim to fame, uh, my biggest find, uh, I never found the headstones or any things or the gold rings or any of that (laughs) that other people did find. I found a bedpan. I found a bedpan. And it's still on display in the visitor center because apparently there was another name for a bedpan that I won't use on on the podcast, but what it's called. Uh, But it was very unique and the only one that's ever been found. So it would have been in probably the mansion house for Lord Baltimore and stuff. So I dug up the pot that he peed in. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Um, Do you have any nicknames? 
Uh, no, not really. Jenny. It's the only one who calls me Jenny is my dad. He's okay. the only one that I allow to call me Jenny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you could go back and say one thing to first year Jennifer Brown, what would you tell her? Uh, I would tell first year Jennifer Brown to trust that it's all going to work out. Yeah. Enjoy the journey and not focus on the destination. Whoa. Yeah. Um, do you have Netflix? Yes, but I don't watch a whole lot. Okay, my question is going to be your last Netflix binge. Okay. Or perhaps just the last thing you watched on Netflix. The last thing I watched on Netflix, oh, I'm really boring when it comes to the TV. So the last thing I watched on Netflix is probably, it would be a children's movie with my kids more than likely. So I'm sorry, my husband, he waits for me to go to bed and he watches all the Netflix series, <laughs> like Breaking Bad. I don't want to watch Breaking Bad. There's like ugly stuff happens in that. And then he's like Walking Dead. I'm like, I don't want to watch The Walking Dead. There's ugly stuff happens in that. Like just give me so, Inside Out. Give or, me my book. Yeah. Give me my Inside Out. <laughs> give me my book. And I'm, I'm a happy camper. So I am like not a huge Netflix. Uh, but a big reader? What was the last book you read? The last book I read, I am reading three books, actually. I'm, a, I'm in the last chapter of one book, and it's actually in my bag. It's the 100, um, what is it called? The $100 Startup. Oh, wow. Reinvent the way you make a living, do what you love, and create a new future. Okay. So, by Chris. By Chris. Lebeau. Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, so that's my book, and I'm also reading... Um, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire with my okay. seven-year-old because I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. And we are reading, uh, what is the third book that I am reading? Captain Underpants uh, is the third book, book seven, with my five-year-old. Okay. And he loves the word poop. Oh, yeah. I don't, yeah. That's... So I have, yeah, I'm oh. all over the place with my reading. Um, what's one or two things from your bucket list that you have yet to achieve? I have so much on the bucket list, so... Every day I probably say, oh, oh, that's that that's on my bucket list. Uh, one is um, go to Greece. Okay. Since I was in grade eight, I wanted to go to Greece. And when I did my Europe backpacking adventure, because I only spent a few days in each place, I wanted to keep Greece special. And uh, Greece will be its own thing. And it's only because I, I did this big project in grade eight about Greece and just thought it was, you know, the history and, oh. again, you know, the place and stuff. So go there. Um, I have so many things on my bucket list. I'd love to write a book. I'd love to, um, oh, my goodness, uh, go on, like, a yoga retreat that's all about me. I mean, I have a huge list. A lot of it is, you know, go do things that... Um, are all over the place, but but for me, so the travel is a huge thing. Nice. Um, yeah, I have a lot of things. I want to do a TEDx course. Not sure which one yet. Uh -huh. I want to do something around mindfulness and like I mean, I could just there's so many things on the bucket list. Yeah, maybe do a PhD, but I'm okay if I don't do it. You gotcha. know, that's like bucket list, but you could fall out. Like depends yeah. on what other exciting things are going on in my life. I'd love to own my own business. I'm not sure what that looks like. One of the things I've discovered is that I'm very, uh, I think I am entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to see if I can take those skills and do something, you know, I'm, I'm mid career and like I'm 16 years in right. to this here. So just if it was a traditional 30 year career walkout, you know, of right. the university, when, if I walk out at that time, I want to be walking into something else. So I've, mm -hmm. I've almost started thinking about what do I want 10 to 15 years from now and just even start thinking about that. Dang. So, um, you need to, you know, again, some of these things take a while to germinate and figure out. So hence my $100 startups and Amazing. things like that. Plant yeah. the seed today. And then Plant the seed to today. Into, <laughs> into another job that I've created, that you've though. Created. Yeah. Uh, one of the items from my bucket list was to see a moose in the wild, and I have not. I thought I would see one in this this few days in Newfoundland, and I and I have not. So are you I'll serious? Have to settle for mine, the moose that I see at the Toronto Zoo. Well, <laughs> last Friday night I was home on the southern shore uh, at a um, fundraiser for a friend of mine who's ill, and I saw seven moose within like five minutes 
and they say they don't travel in packs, but and they weren't all together. But I have never seen so many moose in such a small uh, jurisdiction. Like they were very so close together. For a drive tonight yes, but I... go slow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go slow and watch for the eyes. That's what you see. The yeah. eyes light up like they oh. they shine in the dark. So I hope you see your moose. I hope so too. And the Salmonair Nature Park is just like forty five minutes from St John's. Okay. And they have moose, and you're guaranteed to see it because it's these usually these animals are uh, rescue animals that have been injured okay. and they're brought to this uh, park to recuperate okay. and so some of them don't leave because their injury was such that they can't fly or they right. can't be in the wild but others are rehabilitated and put into the wild and there is there is always moose because we go every year so maybe I'll go check that out. there you go um, and my last and final question, you know that this is a relay, so you're the start of a new right, one. Right, right. Uh, so is there, who might you refer to, speak to next? So I have given this some thought because I did listen to your previous podcast and stuff, so I knew this was coming, but I have, is, is it okay if I give multiple names? Yeah. Okay. So I had three names uh, of people who... Um, kind of impressed me one you met with today was angie clark okay i think that angie is an um you know awesome and she's an up-and-comer and she's you know doing doctoral work and great research and she has a biochem background and she's how does so she eloquent. end up she's so eloquent she's a tell it like it is kind of person Love and it. i just think that and she's you know new finance director with caucus and stuff so i just think she ha would have a lot of interesting things to say i also wrote down tracy mason innes because I think Tracy's pretty awesome, actually. And Tracy probably doesn't know that, but I just think she's got this quiet way about her, but she is she is really powerful in a she's lot a of force. ways. She's a force, mm -hmm. and uh, she's, she knows, you know, she's doing some really good things, and I, I just admire some of the things that she has done, so I throw her out because I think she's on the West Coast. Yeah. And um, I, you yeah, haven't done one with John Austin yet. No. And I think I would love to listen to a podcast with yourself and John uh, <laughs> talk about provocative and I'd love to hear some of the things he has to say I follow all you guys on Twitter and stuff like that and I really I enjoy uh, the tweets and I enjoy the messaging and so I just think uh, I wouldn't I personally would enjoy a 40 minute conversation listening to you guys chat okay. so there are three names oh, that's awesome. one close Thanks to so home much. and the other two means you have to travel again oh I loved it I love it <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate That's it. That's been awesome. Like I was saying before, part of this podcast is just an excuse for me to <laughs> spend more quality time with people I really like. So thank you very much. Jennifer. Thank you. And thank you for letting me, you know, share my story and uh, probably go on a little too long. So thank you to all the listeners, too. Oh, perfect. All right. Thanks so much. So there it is. The first episode of season two. Special thanks to Jennifer Brown for making the time to sit down with me and for the wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoyed our chat as much as I did. Jennifer is such an innovator and such an unbelievable storyteller. I encourage you to connect with Jennifer in person at the next uh, possible opportunity you get. But in the meantime, you have to follow her on Twitter. Her handle is at JenBrownNL, J-E-N-B-R-O-W-N-E-N-L. Also, please get in touch with me on Twitter as well. My handle is at Adam Kewen. Let me know if you have any questions, concerns, compliments, or critiques. I want to hear it all. And, as always, if you have someone you think I should talk to, please don't hesitate to let me know. I'm always looking for new folks to interview. And, new to Season 2, I'm issuing a Relay Essay podcast challenge. I want you to record a one-minute voice note about the kind of podcast you would make about student affairs in Canada. Send it my way, and I will compile all of them together for a very special Relay Essay episode. Try to get them to me by the end of March 2017 and make sure to include your name. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening and thanks again to the amazing Jennifer Brown. Bye for now. <laughs>